When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another week is in the books, and Pitt football has lost to Florida State 24-7. to Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted here on the Pit Talk Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen, and in this episode, we are going to be breaking down all things from the Pitt-Florida State game with the uh, Pitt beat writer from Johnstown's Tribute Democrat, Amanda Godsey. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me in this episode to talk about this Pitt-Florida State game. Well, thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate the invita- invitation. Absolutely. So uh, let's let's just jump right into it. This Pitt team did what I think many of us kind of expected and what, frankly, we've seen before, which is the defense played very well for a while. Mm-hmm. They kept things close. The offense had one or two good drives in there, but for the most part, couldn't really get the ball moving. And eventually the defense couldn't hold up with tough field position, they were on the field for a lot, and eventually the opposing team breaks through, scores a few touchdowns, and of course the offense can't respond. Just seemed like the same old playbook from this 2023 Pitt football team. Is that what it looked like to you, just the same old script? Uh, It did. Uh, I thought the defense played really, really well, uh, especially early on in the game. I know they gave up like 501 yards, but um, one of those drives was a 92-yard drive that didn't result in any points they went for it on fourth and two deep in pit territory and they came away with nothing I think Brandon George had uh the stop on that one but yeah um I thought the defense held up really well I know Florida State was without two of their their two big receivers Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and I'm sure that that helped but I thought the defense was really good and you know, it just felt like one of those things where the off, I think I tweeted it during the game. Like it felt like everything that was going wrong for the offense could, I mean, the uh, long ball to uh, Kanate Mumfield that was fumbled and then it was ruled a touchback and, you know, cause uh, same Florida state had recovered it in the end zone. And uh, it looked on replay, like his face mask was getting grabbed from oh, behind. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that was, that was tough to, you know, drive basically to the one and come up with nothing. Uh, and then it just, you know, I thought there were again, protection issues up front. Um, Christian didn't look great. Uh, he certainly was under pressure quite a bit, but he also had some high throws. The interception that he threw, uh, was, was high. It was, it was a bad pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is just, it does feel like we're watching the same game, uh, over and over again, a lot, uh, with his team this year. Yeah, it's just really that same story. It's like the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about a few of these things. We're going to talk about the missed face mask and another interesting call. We're going to talk about the offensive line, receivers, running back, the defense, of course. Let's start talking about the offense as a whole. Mm-hmm. Penn Arduzzi in his postgame press conference said, it's hard to win football games when you only score seven points. And now in back-to-back weeks, the Panthers have only scored seven points. Now, granted, they're two very good defenses in Notre mm-hmm. Dame and Florida State. So it's, it is understandable to some extent. But 
it's not just these two games. This has been season long that the offense has failed to put up the points and failed to move the ball in the way that this defense deserves and needs to be able to win football games. Mm -hmm. So really for Frank Signetti, the offensive coordinator now in his second year, a lot of fans unhappy with the job that he's doing. We haven't seen much from this offense for Frank Signetti. What is his pitch to, to inspire optimism that uh, say a third year could be better because as of right now, this offense is still doing the same thing week in and week out. And it just does not seem like there's a cohesive game plan to get this offense rolling. Um, I think his pitch, I think he kind of already started it uh, last week when he spoke to the media um, he said, you know, he thinks continuity is very important for the development of young quarterbacks such as Christian Veyer. Um, So I, I kind of think that was the beginning of his pitch as well. Uh, you know, you, you want to develop a quarterback. If you're going to go with Christian, you need continuity. And I mean, Christian, you know, told the media last week, like he came here. Part of the reason he came here was because of Frank Signetti. He believes in him and he believes in his offense. Um, I, I just, I don't know that. Uh, I, I like Christian. I think I think there are good aspects to his game. Um, but, you know, I don't know that he, we're in a situation with like Kenny Pickett and Mark Whipple in, in Kenny's last year, where Kenny was like, "Yeah, I'll come back, but I'm not coming back unless Coach Whip is there." Uh, I don't know that Christian's earned that after you know, uh, but four starts now. Um, uh, so I, I don't know that he could say like, "Hey, I want Signetti back," and you know. Uh, but I think that that has, that is Signetti's only pitch. Really. I don't, uh, I thought yesterday, you know, you're, you're hosting the number four team in the country. Nobody's expecting you to, to do a whole, a whole lot of anything really. Um, and I don't think, I think you could have done some more creative play calling and I don't think we saw that. I mean, they tried the wildcat like what, what one time. And I think mm-hmm. it resulted in three yards and I'm not sure. I think that was the play that Rodney Hammond, Fumbled, then recovered his own fumble, even, I think, was on the Wildcat play. Um, but, I mean, I think they could have got a little more creative yesterday. They didn't – he didn't try to roll out anything, you know. I think that th- – I think yesterday's game is when you unload it all. It's just, right. you know, we're hosting number four team in the country. We lose. We, we're going to miss a bowl game. Like, this is it. Unload Same the house money. You know? yep. Yeah, everything. But I don't feel like they did that. Um, so, I, I don't know. I don't know that – I mean, I, that was yesterday in the post-game presser. I'll say that, you know, he he didn't come out and say it and I'm not trying to read, read between the lines, but just Pat's demeanor when talking about the offense, he seemed very, very unhappy. Um, I mean, he was obviously said like, hey, the defense played their tails off, but it's hard to win when you only score seven points. But he just seemed, anytime he was talking about the offense, he seemed very just he talked about like the penalties and he said like, you know, there was only maybe two penalties on defense and the offense. I mean, Sivo had back-to-back false starts. I think Blake Zavovic also false started on back-to-back plays later in the game. Um, and, you know, I, I understand Pat's frustration, but that's, that's as outwardly frustrated as I've seen him be uh, with the offense that I can, that I can remember at least being in, in the, in the same room as him sitting, you know, like in the second row of, uh, the, the uh, press room, uh, I thought he was, he seemed very frustrated and just, uh, I don't want to say disappointed with the offense, but he just seemed like, you know, what um and I asked him, I, I asked him like, how do you keep your defensive spirits up when you're in a game like this where nothing's going right on offense? And he had, he said, you know, I tell him we have to put blinders on, 
you know, not worry about what anyone else is doing, not worry about the offense. And we just have to, uh, he said, I always tell him if you pitch a shutout, you win. But that's, you know, that's such a, that's, that's a hard thing to do in college yeah. football. It's a hard thing to do in any level of football, but let alone college football. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very understandable that he would be frustrated and kind of at his wits end because Pat Narduzzi is such a defensive guy mm-hmm. and has so outwardly acknowledged that, yeah, he helps run the defense and the offense. He mostly gives carte blanche to his offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and he doesn't get too hands on. But if you are a defensive guy and you are on the defensive side of the ball and you look at your defense and they are playing incredibly well and your offense just continues to put them in a difficult position where they have to mm-hmm. pitch a shutout to, to have really much of any hope. If they allow more than seven points, again, the last two weeks, if they allow more than seven points, the mm-hmm. game's over from that right. point on. And so it's understandable that Narduzzi would be at his wits end because this offense is letting the defense down in a big way. On the other hand, Pat Narduzzi is the head coach. He's not the defensive coordinator. Randy Bates, you can say, yeah, mm-hmm. he had full a, a responsibility and the full rights to be uh, extremely frustrated with his offense. But for Pat Narduzzi, part of this is on him because he is the head coach and he did decide to hire Frank Signetti and he did allow things to break down with Mark Whipple. Obviously, Whipple left for, for Nebraska, but it's it seems to be a situation where I completely understand why Narduzzi's frustrated about the offense. I think everyone is. Mm-hmm. The issue is he's the one who essentially installed this offense by hiring Frank Signetti. And I guess the question now is, will does he find this acceptable? Does he is he going to believe? Frank Signetti's pitch about continuity or is, is he going to hit his limit on what he will tolerate and try to find a new offense and, and come up with something different? Obviously we can't really speculate on changing of jobs and this and that, but mm-hmm. it, it just seems clear that what is happening now isn't working. And yes, the fans know it. Yes. People that cover the team know it, but it seems like Pat Narduzzi is really starting to internalize that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Pat has been pretty aware that things aren't working and I mean, um, you know, he said that, that, well, he said Signetti, uh, is the one that decided to make the switch at quarterback to, from Phil to Christian. Um, and he said, you know, they needed a spark and, and everything. And I, I think he's getting that it's not working. And, um, I don't, I think it's only been what two two off seasons that I think Pat has retained the same staff. Uh, and one of those years was last year, like no coaching changes. And um, I can't imagine, regardless, even if they went out, I mean, they would be five and seven. And I think winning Don and Duke is going to be tough. That's not the Duke that, you know, that Pitt was used to for the first seven years of uh, Pat's tenure. They've got a real good defense. They've got a really good defense. Mike Elko has done a really great job down there. Um, So, but even if they went out there five and seven, there are still, I don't, I think that there are still questions at quarterback. I mean, they're going to have to decide in the off season, are we going ahead with Christian? I mean, heck, Christian, you know, may not want to stick around. I don't know. Um, there's going to be a, a lot of questions and an awful lot of soul searching, I think, to be done in this program when the season ends. Uh, I 
I just can't see him retaining the entire staff uh, in the off season, regardless of if they go five and seven, if they go two and 10 or three and nine, I mean, there's, there has to be some changes, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. You can't possibly run this back if you will, and (laughs) expect a a different result. There's just no way that you can do that, that you could justify that or explain that. So you have to imagine there will be at least one coaching change involved Mm -hmm. and obviously transfers happen every season, but, but, uh, you can imagine that there'll be some changes with the roster as well. And, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse, things are probably going to be different next year. Certainly on paper, uh, it can't get too much worse because uh, at the moment, uh, Pitt is uh, is in a bad spot, sitting at two mm-hmm. and seven. Uh, continuing with the offense, at the running back position, we finally saw a good amount of carries for Rodney Hammond. He mm-hmm. had 13 carries, 60 yards. When he was out there, even the less inspired play calls like the runs up the middle he actually made them work it seems like if anyone is going to be able to run the kind of offense that Frank Signetti wants it would be Rodney Hammond and yet he has not put him out there that much this season why do you think that is and and on the similar point what do you think changed in this game that Rodney Hammond was finally featured as the lead back that many would argue he should be um I don't know how healthy Rodney has been this season. Um, I know we saw him towards the end of training camp, uh, kind of like bandaged up. Um, so I'm not, I don't know that he was healthy, uh, at least not a hundred percent healthy, I should say um, early on in the season. And then I think it was at the North Carolina game. I think he, he took a shot or something. He got injured late in the second half of that game Um I don't think he came back in. He was able to play the next week against Virginia Tech, but um, he definitely got like maybe a little more banged up in that game. I don't know if I want to say. I I think he was healthy, and then I think maybe he – I do remember him leaving that game, and I don't believe he returned. Um, So I'm not 100 – I'm not sure how that Rodney has been 100% at all this season Um, because, like I said, he's – and just the way that they've used him – um, you know, that would also lead me to believe that. I don't think it's just that they are, are blind to what their roster looks like. Um, I think it's probably been a question of health. And then there was a game, was it, was it Wake Forest? I can't remember. There, uh, it was just within the last few weeks that Siba had a really good game and Rodney said, leave him in there. Yeah, I think that was Wake. Yeah. Yeah. And Pat told us that. He said that Rodney basically was that uh he, Rodney, I think Andre Powell was trying to get Sebo out and put Rodney in. And Rodney was like, nah, he's hot. Let him let him keep going. So um I think that's you know part of it. And and both Pat and Andre Powell uh, have always said, and Frank Signetti have always said we're gonna ride the hot hand basically at running back. So um, but yeah, I thought Rodney you know, had a pretty good showing yesterday. Um, again, I, I just feel like it's, it's hard to even like break down this offense this season. I just feel like the wheels have come off in so many different areas. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, it's been kind of difficult to watch. And, and as you said, tough to break down, uh, one more piece with this offense is just the passing game. Cause this game was kind of confusing with that. It, It was difficult to tell, with certain players, how well they played, how good they are. I mean, Christian Bayer, 15 for 35 passing, 
244 yards. He did have some great throws. He did yeah. have the touchdown to Bub Means. He had what should have been a touchdown to Kanante Mumfield. He did throw that bad interception. So there was that. And then the receivers that he's throwing to, it was kind of a weird game for them as well. Gavin Bartholomew had a couple rare missed catches. Mm-hmm. I mean, balls that went to him. There was one that went right between his hands. Uh, so I believe he had five targets, but just one reception. Kanate Mumfield had the that one uh, big play that we'll talk mm-hmm. about in just a moment uh, more in depth. And then Bub Means, he had a big play with the, with the touchdown. But then there were, there was I think it was one, maybe two other plays where he and we've seen this a few times in the past couple weeks where he just stopped running his route short. And had he kept going, he likely would have caught it. So do you think that's a, just a communication issue, a new quarterback? What is it that this passing game seems to have potential, but they haven't quite gelled. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I have seen Bub do that where he kind of like stops running his route. And I, I do have to wonder if it's communication because, um, uh, I know in the North Carolina game, after Phil Dracovic got hurt and Christian came into that game, Christian threw a couple interceptions in the second half. And one of those, um, Pat was very quick to bring up on Monday. He said, one of those interceptions, he said, um, it was Kenny Johnson that was running. And he said, if Kenny Johnson keeps running his route, that's a touchdown. But the def- but he slowed up and the defensive back got in front of him and and picked the ball off. And Pat was very quick to jump in and say, like, hey, that that's not all on Christian. Kenny needed to keep running there because that's a touchdown. Um, if he just if he just doesn't slow up on his route. So I do wonder if there has been some sort of communication issue because I mean, I have noticed Bob do this, but you know, there's another instance where another receiver is doing it. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if it was a communication issue or or what's going on there, um, but that's a great question and and certainly one that I will ask Pat if somebody else doesn't ask him on Monday tomorrow. Yeah, because uh, that it, it's definitely kind of confounding. As I said, it seems like there is potential there with the passing game. Mm-hmm. It seems like Christian Veyer has potential. Obviously, some talented receivers out there. It just hasn't fully come together um, for for this passing. Uh, game one more thing on the offense and then and then we'll move on because as you said it is difficult mm-hmm. to acknowledge but ultimately this is the reason that this team has only won mm-hmm. two games this season is the offense and you mentioned it right at the top of this podcast the offensive line struggled yet again yep now obviously there are reasons for that the offensive line has been incredibly injured this season and they're, they're they've got a lot of young and inexperienced players out there but it was a struggle. They did not give Christian Veyer much time on mm-hmm. some big plays. Uh, they had some false starts that just shot this team in the foot and moved them back. Do you think that this offensive line is improving over the course of the season and as these young players continue to to grow and develop? Or is this a frustration that we're kind of seeing the same thing? Um, I think it's been pretty frustrating. Um I think that they have some guys that can be good that are young and kind of inexperienced. I think Ryan bear could be a very good tackle in the future, but he's kind of been thrust into this because of the injury to Mac and Salve's and them shifting Branson Taylor to the left side of the line. Um, Terrence Moore, I think could be a, a, a key piece going forward as well. Um, but you know, there have been a lot of injuries, uh, to the line. Um, McInsolvays was playing well before he got injured uh, against West Virginia. I know he he played pretty well, but the rest of the line still wasn't playing well even before his injury. Now, of course, 
Ryan Jacoby, it was thought he was going to be occupying one of those guard spots. He was knocked out um, before the season. But then you have things like, you know, Blake Zbovic didn't even start yesterday. He's a fifth-year senior. He comes into the game, and then he gets called for back-to-back false starts. And that's got to be very frustrating. Like, this is a guy that's been here. He's a veteran guy, and he's false starting on back-to-back plays in the fourth quarter. Um, You know, I'm not trying to call out any one player. I I mean, I I like Blake, and I I, I feel bad even – saying that but you know um i just think it's a, again it's just been they were hit with injuries up front um they lost their best lineman i mean period when gonsalves went down i mean he was the only member of pitt's team to even be named to the preseason all acc team was gonsalves um I, I felt bad when he got injured um and i just think i think there can be some growth i think these guys are getting some good experience right now like I said, I think Ryan Bear is a guy moving forward that will be an impactful player for for Pitt. I just think he's young and he's inexperienced, and he kind of just got thrust into this. Uh, and he also, I'm uh, if if I'm recalling correctly, he he said he's more comfortable on the left side. I understand that they want him to have him on the right side now, um, but I, I understand the thought process behind that. But um, I do wonder if maybe moving forward, because I, I, I see him as being like a left tackle for a pit down the road. Um, so I do wonder if maybe he'll just be more comfortable when he, you know, when they give him the opportunity to actually play and start at left tackle. Yeah, it's I do. I, I'm in agreement. I think there is promise there, but you haven't really quite seen it develop. Right. And it's that that certainly has been a frustration. Um Let's talk about the the missed calls because mm-hmm. there we, we briefly mentioned the first one initially, and while this game was uh, ultimately a pretty strong win for Florida State, twenty four to seven, the offense could have had more points, and you can make a strong case that they should have had more points. Mm-hmm. So the first one was this deep pass to Kanate Mumfield. It was a beautiful ball from Christian Bayer. Mumfield runs down the field. He has the ball right at the goal line, and then at the goal line, he fumbles it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the stadium, because I was there this week, it was the, the first and only time that uh, I got to uh, – be there in person this season and the stadium was going crazy people were thrilled it was a touchdown pits on the board Mm -hmm. and then some people noticed the ball came out and you look at the replay and then they're reviewing it and it was wait yeah the ball did come out prior to getting into the end zone prior to crossing the goal line but there were two things one of them was kind of a confusion which was the player that recovered the football seemed out of bounds when Mm -hmm. recovering it now that would not have negated the fumble Mm -hmm. but still something that seemed to be overlooked but the biggest thing was the face mask because the reason that Kanate Mumfield apparently mm-hmm. fumbled the ball was he had it looked like even two hands on his face mask pulling them at uh, pulling it and he fumbled the ball it's not easy to hold onto a ball when your face mask is being pulled and so he drops the ball right in front of the goal line that was not called by the referee. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it, it could not be changed once they go back because, as the rules stand, you can't review something like that. What did you think about that when you saw the replays and then even uh, moving forward, actually, uh, my guest from last week, Noah Hiles uh, from the Post-Gazette, mm-hmm. talked with the head of officiating for the ACC, and and he asked him about the face mask, and he just said, we, we can't get into that. Yeah. So it just seems like, and this isn't ACC specific, this is across all sports. They don't review these things, they don't go back. But it just seems like 
an injustice that they can miss something like that and not review it. And then because of that, the fumble happens and that they review and it removes seven points from the board. Yeah. It's um, man. I, I covered the Steelers too. And I was at the Steelers game on Sunday and <laughs> there were a couple uh questionable calls in that game that again, a full reporter from the post Gazette had to, you know, was talking to the officials and the head of officiating and then, you know, then that was the start of the week and the end of the week at Akershire is, uh, well, there's questionable calls in Pitt, Florida State. So we got the poll reporter from the PG yeah. talking to the head of the officials. Um, I, I think it's a I think it's a shame. I think it's a, a real shame that, um, that that it happened the way that it did. Um, and there uh, Christian was asked about Christian talked to us after the game and he was asked, like, how was Kanate after that fumble? Like, did you talk to him? And and everything and he said you know he's good he said i went up to him and i said hey man like it's it's fine like you know you got grabbed from behind um you know you find, like that that happens sometimes you're running along with it with a you know a db and and that that happens they're trying to get you down and they pull something and it, you know forces you know the ball comes out and um so i i hated to see how it played out like live, I was getting people tweeting me being like, there was a face mask that was missed and everything. And I'm trying to w- watch the replay on my computer and on the, the monitors and the press box and, and Jumbotron and trying to see. And, um, you know, then I saw um, Jim Hammett from Panther Laird posted a really good screenshot of like the hands on yep. the face mask. And, um, you know, it was two pretty hands. Like, not even just one, two, two hands, hands. Right. It was it was a really it was a really blatant call. It was just an egregious no call, if you ask me. Um, I do wonder if there will be something, any sort of movement at, at some point where you will be able to change calls on review. Um, there was a it wasn't it was against North Carolina. I mean Carolina. I don't know that they would win that game. Period. Um, but there was a call where. I think it was they were trying to review if Drake May had fumbled, but they ruled that it was an incomplete pass because his arm was going forward. But then he pro- he probably should have been called for intentional grounding, but he wasn't. So, but then when you saw the replay, you're like, that's intentional grounding. Um, and of course, you know, it's it's something that comes back to bite you. And it is a shame that they can't overturn those calls. And uh I, I felt bad for uh Kanate yesterday. Uh, Cause that was going to be an incredible play when he caught that ball. I was yeah. like, Oh my God, there's not going to be anyone that can get to him. And then I think it was Cypress that caught up to him. And you know, it's, it's just unfortunate the way that it played out yesterday. Yeah. It certainly looked to be one of those plays that could define a game that if mm-hmm. it scores a touchdown there and, and goes on to win the game because the offense puts up points that that's a play you look back and say, wow, that was a, a game breaker. And it, it didn't work out that way. Again, seven no. points were taken off the board and it's just frustrating. And again, this is not this game specific. This is an ACC specific. This is football in general, how little they're able to review. And mm-hmm. the fact that any penalty, you can't review it because I, they say it's subjective, but some of these things are not subjective. Some of these things are just straight up objective. Yes. And if you look at a video and I, I understand that on certain things, even something like pass interference, it's, it's very, you know, there is subjectivity and, and you don't want to have be able to go back and have to litigate every single small mm-hmm. thing. I get that. But on certain calls, such as a face mask, it, it blows my mind that they can't look at that and say, Oh yeah, we missed that. And therefore like it's, 
it's just a big frustration with this sport that that both of us follow and cover um, and and love is that they're able to have so many plays where they just get it wrong and there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do during the game. And then after the game, they don't even acknowledge it. It's not like mm-hmm. the NBA where they issue a, a two minute mm-hmm. report about, you know, owning up to the things that they missed. No, it's just, Oh yeah. Everyone saw that that was a missed call, but too bad. And, and to me, it's just, uh, it, it feels unacceptable that for the America's favorite sport that, at the pro level, at the collegiate level, across all conferences, something like that cannot be reviewed. And in this particular case, Pitt can have a touchdown taken off the board and there's nothing anyone can do about it or even say about it after. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's even, it's harder to swallow when it's something like number one, it was pretty blatant face mask. And number two, like on penalties like that, that's 15 yards. I mean, you know, where they were on the field, it's, you know, it wouldn't have been 15 yards. It wouldn't have been a half the distance or whatever. Um, but you know, it's, I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge call. 15 yards of field position is, you know, a big deal in a football game. Um, and it is hard to swallow when, when these things aren't reviewed and, you know, like I mentioned, um, with the Steelers on Sunday, the pool reporter was able to talk to, um, I forget it was some, it was in a, some of one of the like official, like executives of officiating. Um, and then actually like the head of the crew on Sunday, the ACC, they allowed Noah to talk to the supervisor of officials, which is Al river on. Um, but there was there like the on-field officials don't have to answer to anybody. Mm-hmm. There's no a sort of accountability, which is, is a difference from the NFL, like the head of the crew in the NFL talked to Brian Bacco from the Post-Gazette. Um, but, you know, there's there's nothing. And and I think that that's hard for for fans and for, you know, even us in the media to like kind of swallow is like, well, these guys, you know, everyone talks, uh, you know, after games, like the coaches and the players talk, yep. and they, they, they're they're held accountable by media and fans and their bosses and stuff like that. And you know, the officials, it's just kind of like shrug. Oh, it's a judgment call. What can we do? Yep. And, it, you know, I thought some of the, the uh, you know, the responses I, uh, that Al Rivron gave to Noah, um, you know, it was a bunch of non-answers and just, well, it's a judgment call. It's a judgment call. There's nothing we can do. Um, you know, that's just, I, I don't, I think that, that in uh, an on-field official, should be available to at least the pool reporter to say, this is why this was called. And, you know, Narduzzi had no idea why it was called. Christian Veyer seemed to have no idea why it was called on Gavin. Um, I, I'm sorry, we're talking about the, we were talking about the face mask, but I'm talking the stuff with Gavin, like the, these things that, you know, these were two big calls that very much affected the, the game and affected the score. And, to just say to just have the officiating be like, well, it's a judgment call. There's nothing we can do. And that just, that's acceptable. I mean, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow for, for people. Yeah. It's, it, it just feels unacceptable again for this sport that is watched by so many loved by so many makes a ton of money both at the professional and at the collegiate level, mm-hmm. that there is no accountability. And as college football continues to get bigger and as, you know, with NIL and we're all understanding, yeah, this isn't just pure amateur sports. Like th- this is a big deal. And we are all finally acknowledging that it is a big deal. And mm-hmm. yet 
as the coaches and the players, they, as you said, they all understand that because this is a big deal, because the sport makes a lot of money, because like there needs to be accountability to the right. media, to fans, to just the general public on why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And in terms of officiating, it just isn't there. And in mm-hmm. the rare case that, again, Noah Hiles was able to talk to the supervisor of officials with the ACC, he essentially just refused to answer. He just mm-hmm. said, well, the, the officials made the call and we sort of stand by them. And there's just so little transparency that's frustrating. And now I do want to go in because you mentioned it, the Gavin Bartholomew on sportsmanlike conduct penalty call, because that very well could have taken more points off mm-hmm. the board. Pitt was in field goal range, trailing 10 to seven. Then Gavin Bartholomew gets the unsportsmanlike conduct call for something he said at the sideline. They throw the flag no one has any idea what's going on. Gavin Bartholomew's over on the sideline, and apparently he's the one that gets flagged. And at no point does anyone say what it was for. Because mm-hmm. Pat Narduzzi, Christian Veyer, as you mentioned in the postgame press conferences, I have no idea why they threw that flag for Gavin Bartholomew. He didn't say anything bad. There was nothing that would warrant an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And then in a... I think better functioning ecosystem, then you'd say, okay, well, that's their perspective. Let's hear from the officials perspective who made the the call for unsportsmanlike, con- uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, or at least the crew chief. And mm-hmm. let's hear, you know, as a representative of the officials, but we don't get that. Mm-hmm. And so we will never know why Gavin Bartholomew had that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that moved Pitt out of field goal range. They were then forced to give it back to Florida state, punt it away. And if those two calls are made differently, if they call the face mask and if they don't call the unsportsmanlike penalty that we don't know why it's for, then instead of Pitt being down 10 to seven at that point, Pitt could have been up 17 to 10. Right. Those are absolutely crucial points. I don't know that, that I'm not saying that Pitt wins that game. If that Mm -hmm. happens again, ultimately Florida state scored 24 points. So if nothing changes, Florida state wins 24 seven. So I'm not even saying Florida state doesn't deserve the win. Like they, they play better. That's fine. But just for consistency's sake, what could have been 17 to 10 pit was instead 10 to seven. And yet again, we will never have any idea what Gavin Bartholomew said that warranted uh, a flag or if it warranted a flag, because there's no accountability, there's no transparency and we we just aren't going to get any answers. Right. I mean, that was the, I think that was the very first question that was asked of Pat last night. Uh, I believe it was Chris Carter from the post Gazette. He, he asked if he got any clarity on the flags run on Gavin. And he said, no, he didn't know why it was thrown that there was no explanation given to him. And he said, Gavin didn't. And then Chris asked him, well, what did Gavin say to the officials? And he said, Gavin didn't say anything to the officials. And Christian said the same thing. You know, I mean, well, Pat had kind of said it in his opening remarks. He said, I don't know how you get called for a penalty. We got 40 guys on the sideline and you're calling a penalty on the sideline on one guy. Like, I don't, I've never seen that. And I've seen a lot of things. Um, You know, he said, you know, Gavin didn't say anything. We asked Christian about it. Same thing. He said, Gavin didn't do anything wrong. He said, you know, I mean, he was, I thought it was bull. And, uh, you know, he was very candid about it. Um, But, you know, and just, just the fact that, you know, Pat is told his, his not, he, 
I asked him, I, Chris asked him about the Gavin penalty. I asked him about the face mask. No, Hiles asked him about the fumble out of bounds. And he just said like, no, he had not received any clarity on any of these things. No explanations were given. Um, and, you know, I think it was like, it, it's hard to imagine in, you know, the interactions I think any of us in the media have had with Gavin of uh, thinking of him doing or saying something that would warrant an unsportsmanlike right i know it's the heat of the moment you know we don't we aren't down on the sidelines with these guys in during the game and and stuff like that um but it's kind of like like you said we'll never know we'll never know what was said and why it was called on gavin and you know what could have happened um because the officials aren't providing any clarity to the coach uh the officials don't have to talk to the media and the supervisor of officiating is saying um, you know, well, it's their judgment call. We stand behind them. So it's, it's, it was when it was happening, you know, I'm, I'm just like looking at the scoreboard and I'm, I'm looking down. I'm just thinking, you know, well, they're in, they're in salt Ben's Saul's range. I mean, this is a 43 yard field goal from where they were. And then to have that knock them out of field goal range and be forced to punt. Um, cause you know, I, I mean, Saul's might miss the field goal, but that's definitely in his range. Right. So, I mean, we could have been looking at a 10, 10 score and instead, you know, uh, they went down, scored a touchdown, and it was 17. And you could feel like it almost feel like the air go out of the building. Yep. Um, on that call because it was just like, wow. And I, I think I, I I asked Christian last night, um, I said, How do you guys on offense kind of keep your spirits up when you're having these calls and these no calls not go your way? And you know, even when you're you think you're doing something right and good and you're about to get points, you're not. And, you know, Christian was, you know, very mature and, and level-headed about it and said, you know, we can't change what happened in the past. All we can do is change the future. And we just kind of look at, you know, next play, you know, forget about what happened. We have to go out and make plays. But it's, it's you know, it's it was re- it was a really tough game to watch it be called the way it was. I don't know that Pitt wins it, regardless of how those calls go. I don't know, because uh, the offense still had struggled. But it, it's really tough to watch, especially because the offense has struggled. I think it was tougher right. to watch, you know, Kanate uh, get called for the fumble and they, they rolled recovered by Florida state and, um, they don't call the face mask. And then to watch them get knocked out of field goal range by this 15 yard penalty on, we don't know what was said by Gavin Bartholomew. Um, I, I think it, I, I do, you know, they played hard and, and they kept playing till the end and trying to make stuff happen. But I just wonder how deflating it has to be. I mean, I'm an adult woman. I'm a middle-aged woman. And I thought it was like kind of deflating. And I'm just like, man, you know, these these guys are, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. It's got to be very demoralizing for them to to try to uh, to get into position to score points. And then it's, you know, a, a, officials kind of uh, affect it. If not, yeah. not, if not taking points directly off the board, it was still affected by the officiating. Right, because ultimately, yeah, this this was an offense that very well could have earned 17 points mm-hmm. if two of those you know calls go the other way. They could have earned 17 points midway through the third quarter. And again, at that point, Pitt would have been up 17 to 10. And okay, yeah, then Florida State, the next drive, goes down and scores a touchdown. But like now you've got a game. Mm-hmm. Now you've got an interesting, entertaining game going – throughout the third quarter into the fourth, but instead, and uh, I'm in agreement with you because I was there. It did feel like the air was just sucked out that mm-hmm. any potential of, 
hey, Pitt could actually maybe do this, mm-hmm. was kind of gone after that. They punted it away. Florida State scores. The Knolls are up 10. And then after that, it's another offensive drive that leads to a punt. Florida State scores another touchdown. And then from there, it was, yeah, this this game is over. Mm-hmm. And, and Pitt's best chance was behind them. Uh, but yeah, that that very well could have been an exciting game down the stretch, if not for those two calls that seemed confusing at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, we just won't get an answer to that. I do want to talk about the defense. This defense against an incredibly talented Florida State team did play very well. Now they did let up a bunch of yards mm-hmm. uh, to to the Florida State offense, uh, five hundred and one yards total, but they only allowed 24 points. Now Florida state could have scored on the final drive. If they were still playing for it at that point, they were able to just run out the clock, but overall the defense, especially in the first half played incredibly well uh, until again, as we mentioned at the top, the script that we see where they just sort of run out of gas at a certain point. But if you're Pat Narduzzi, if you're Randy Bates, if you're just watching this program, you have to feel pretty good about where this defense is, especially compared to earlier in the season where they were a little bit more shaky. Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought they played really exceptionally well, especially early. Um, You know, I think Florida state's first uh, six drives resulted in no points. Um, One was they forced a fumble midfield. Um, The second one was the turnover on downs. They gave up a bunch of yards, but they didn't give up any points. And then I think they forced four punts. I mean, that's, that's really, and again, I know Florida State was out without two of their big playmakers on offense, um, but I still thought it was impressive the way that they were able to um, play against the Florida State offense. Um, against uh, Virginia Tech, they had missed 26 tackles in that game, and I know quite a bit of that was due to Kyron Drones and what he can do and bring to the position of quarterback. Um, I went through actually not too long before I hopped on here with you, Um Pro Football Focus only has them miss, having missed seven tackles last night. And, you know, Travis is another guy who can run the ball. You know, he can, you know, if his receivers are blanketed, he can take off and run. And uh, the running back, uh, Benson, he he had a good game. I think he had, he had the big score late. And um, I thought the defense played really well, um, considering they weren't getting a whole lot of help from the offense, both in terms of scoring um, and establishing long drives early. Um, I thought the defense, they played better than, than I thought they would, to be honest, uh, against Florida state, just cause Florida state came in with, you know, a really high powered offense. And, uh, I thought the defense did a great job. Um, uh, Brandon George had the best game probably of his entire career. Um, yesterday, uh, he led the team with 10 tackles and two and a half tackles for loss. And, he had the big stop on fourth down uh, on the second drive of the game where they came away with no points. Um, so I would think that Pat and Randy are probably feeling pretty good about the defense um, after that performance. And even last week, they gave up all those points, but one was a pick six, two were on special teams. So even against Notre Dame, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a bad game, but the defense, um, I thought the defense played well early on against Notre Dame too. They forced uh, two turnovers on the first two drives. And then I think a turnover on downs on, on Notre Dame's third drive. So um, I definitely think there are pieces on the defense that, that moving forward for the rest of the year and into next year, that there are definitely some pieces that they can build on. Um, And I think that, yeah, they should be feeling pretty good about this defense and based on what they've been able to do. 
Yeah, really good performance from the defense. You, you can't fault them. Yes, they gave up some yards, but ultimately they, they played very well, especially when the game was still very much in reach because, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, things got a little bit out of control in the third quarter, but when they were playing that well in the first quarter, that was when, yeah, one good offensive play and Pitt's in the lead mm-hmm. and it's got a real shot to win this. So uh, just a really good game for the defense. Before we go, Amanda, three games left for Pitt football this year. Coming up next is Syracuse. They're playing that game at Yankee Stadium next Saturday. Uh, then they've got Boston College, and then they close out at Duke on the road. So that one certainly going to be tough. But Syracuse and Boston College, certainly winnable. Mm-hmm. Do you What do you think about Pitt's chances in these next two games? And how important is it, in your opinion, for them to get two more victories and manage to finish four and eight, as opposed to something like two and 10 or even three and nine. Um, I think that, I think it's actually very important. Um, If they can win the next two games or two of their final three, regardless of what combination it is, um, I think it will have, uh, I think it will be, I think it'll do a lot for the team morale. Um, And I think if they play well enough to win those games, then, maybe you are starting to see something from the offense. Maybe, maybe Christian is um, a little more consistent. Um, You know, maybe the defense, um, the defense has played really well, but maybe there are some big splash plays by the defense. We haven't had a ton of those this year. I mean, they've played well though. So I can't, I don't know. Um, They've been pretty, they've been pretty good um, for most of the season, but I do think it's important. Um, I think it would be, Really, I think if they could have a couple good offensive performances, like, yeah, the defense yesterday kind of wore down towards the end and they allowed the long touchdown run and stuff like that. But, I mean, Florida State, they held Florida State's offense to 24 points. And it's college football. You have to score more than seven. When Pat said, you know, it's tough to win. Like, in college football, if you want to win football games, you better be ready to score at least like three or four touchdowns a game. I mean, it's college football. Great defenses in college football give up three touchdowns a game, and they're great. They can be considered a great defense. It's not the, quite the same as like you know the NFL, where you know defenses are shut. Yeah, like these are these are still college kids. They're going to give up some scores. You need to be able to to score uh, points. But I think if they could have some consistent offensive performances the next two weeks, that would be very important um, for the players. And I think it would also give the coaching staff a little bit of an idea of um, like assessing where they need to go. That the one thing that stinks about them not missing about them missing out on a bowl game this year is they won't get that month of like bowl practice in mm-hmm. where I know like Randy Bates had talked about this a lot because he got peppered with a lot of questions from us early in the year, media day and uh, training camp. And, you know, during the season about like, well, how do you overcome losing guys like Kalaja Kansi, Sarasia Dennis, Eric Hallett, Brandon Hill, you know, like cause he, he had lost so many guys on the defense and he said, Hey, you know, you guys think this is a new defense, but we started with this defense in bowl practice before the sun bowl. He said only Eric Hallett played in the sun bowl. Like we were already, moving forward with this defense. Javon McIntyre was playing in the Sun Bowl. Like, this is not new to us, as new to us as it may seem to you guys. Um, So I do think that that's something that, um, you know, the pit will, like, will kind of, that that would have benefited them if they could have had that extra, 
month of bowl prep um, to see what they're going to look like going forward. But um, I think if based on what they can do in these next three games, that that's going to, you know, they'll, they'll have to be some decisions and I'm sure there are conversations already taking place about what do we do at quarterback, um, you know, and talking about like where we go at wide receiver, they have a bunch of freshman wide receivers. Kenny Johnson's gotten the most playing time of any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, but I think that, that these next three games are very important because I think it'll be experience probably for the young players on the team. And I think it'll give the coaching staff um, some good ideas about where to go in the off season. But I just think, I just think these kids need to win, you know, like you just feel for them when you, when you talk to them all the time, just seeing them like being mired in this, in this uh, like losing streak here, it's, it's gotta be really tough. And uh, I think winning two of these last three games would be, I mean, number one, four and eight looks better than, two and 10 yeah. <laughs> or, or, or three or uh, three and nine for sure. Um, but I just think it would do a lot for them. It, it do a lot for the players and the coaches moving forward and just kind of see where this team can go. Yeah, completely agree. I think I said it earlier, I think before the wake forest game that five and seven was still in reach mm-hmm. and that was what they got to in 2017. And right. they sort of used that as a launching pad into the next year. And I thought, that that was important. And then when five and seven was off the table, it was okay. Now can you get four wins? And I do think right. that that would be important. I'm in agreement with you. And these next two games against Syracuse in, in New York city, and then Boston college at home, I think they're certainly winnable. And I do think uh, it would be important and helpful for Pitt to win this, to get those players, uh, just get them those wins, have them experience that, have a season that yes, it's bad. It's not catastrophically bad and you can sort of build off that. So I do think the next two weeks are are important and mm-hmm. uh, uh, we'll certainly be talking about that here on the pit talk network. And you'll certainly be writing about it over at the tribune Democrat. Uh, Amanda Godsey, thank you so much for joining me, so much for having uh, me on. in this episode. Please tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, read your stuff. Um, you can find my stories online line at tribdem.com T I R B D E M.com. And on Twitter, I'm, I'm at Amanda F. Godsey, G-O-D-S-E-Y. Um, and you, I, there are links to all my stuff there. Great. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back later this week. We've got uh, the uh, an early episode of Hoops Unscripted talking about uh, Pitt basketball, a season preview on them. Uh, we're going to be talking about Pitt men, men and women's soccer on Olympic Gold and Blue. And, uh, of course, we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Football Unscripted Uh, Right here, please subscribe to the Pit Talk Network wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes delivered to you right away. Uh, You can also find the Pit Talk Network on Twitter, and you can find me on uh, Twitter at Corey E. Cohen. Uh, Until next time, uh, for Amanda Godsey, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.